Hey Church, the Bible reading this week is from John 12, verse 20 to 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus told them, You are going to have have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's my wonderful privilege to bring our Trinity series to a close this morning. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Lord, sometimes we find it hard to just understand how, how, how this works, three persons in one being, but I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will help us understand how you work and function for our benefit and for your glory so that we might live in the same way for your glory and for the sake of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as the sun pushes again, the darkness of night aside, a mum pulls the sheets over her head trying to put off the morning schedule. But a child stirs down the hall and a hubby calls out, Do you know where my car keys are? Her day has begun. She rushes a shower before the battle of getting the children up for online schooling begins. And yes, it will be a battle. By the time the kids have started, she's managed to put the washing on as organised snacks and lunches. The phone rings. It's mum and dad wanting to visit since lockdown's not happening anymore. Can they come and visit over the weekend? And all she can think about is, how will I have time to clean up? As soon as the phone is down, the washing machine beeps, so it's out to the line to hang the clothes as she looks up at the forming clouds and prays it doesn't rain. 
Another call, only to find the church office reminding her she's on roster for frozen meals this week. She sits down with a coffee and ponders. Everyone seems to want a piece of me. Even the rushed calls from hubby and church bring more requests that feel more like demands. The day passes quickly. She can't wait for the love of her life to get home and help. She hopes desperately they'll have some adult conversation, be able to make some decisions about the Christmas holidays and she'll find the courage at some point to inform him his beloved mother and father-in-law are coming for the weekend. After the kids are asleep and she's tucked in bed, weary from the day, knowing that in seven hours it will all begin again, her mind recalls some words her pastor spoke in his message last week. Many of us, he said, live on the knife edge of anxiety. She ponders. That's how I feel. I don't like it, but I just can't seem to see a way out. In fact, I feel isolated, misunderstood, even somewhat abused by my own family. Everyone wants a piece of me, but I don't have any pieces left. Meanwhile, in another part of Fig Tree, a widower wakes to the deafening silence of loneliness. Lockdown has been very difficult. No family live in the local government area. No weekly church and life group to attend. His technology and internet skills are minimal and Zoom gatherings, even when he gets them to work, aren't all that satisfying. There are no hugs from family, no firm handshakes from his mates. The daily routines of breakfast, lunch and dinner interspersed with a bit of TV, music and a bit of reading and an occasional walk have a life-destroying monotony about them. Like the young mum, welling up in his soul is a rising angst. He feels desperately alone, isolated. And in his darkest moments, he wonders if even God has abandoned him. Now, of course, those two scenarios may not be ours. For some of us, it may be family stresses or, or work pressures or chronic health issues relationship meltdowns, financial crises, negotiating the HSC in this climate, or spiritual doubts. The list of things which can cause anxiety and anger is long. Some of us find ourselves running on empty or near it. We're barely keeping our head above water. Now you might already be wondering, what has all this got to do with a series on the teaching of the Trinity? What does knowing the transcendent God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit have to do with my transient daily routines? Let me say everything. The reality is that the more we know and understand the God of Scripture, the more we'll be able to negotiate the stresses of life manage the feelings of loneliness, handle our spiritual temptations, see beyond our personal angst, rebuke the thought that no one really understands. And we're about to do all of this with grace and purpose. 
Shane has cleverly entitled this last message, Dancing with the Stars. Now, let me say, I'm no fan of the show, but it does speak into our theme. In the show, a celebrity is seeking to win and receive all the glory. But they can't do that without the professional dance partner who helps them. And so we find in the dance that there's on the one hand one person serving the other so they can gain the glory. Glory and servanthood side by side. Of course, when the celebrity wins, no one remembers the servant. So it is in the divine dance of the Trinity. We have simultaneously a dance for glory marked by persistent other person-centeredness which in turn brings God glory. Now let's be clear. Understanding the teaching of the Trinity isn't designed to be an academic exercise, nor is it a theological puzzle to be unraveled. No, the scriptural teaching on the Trinity, like all biblical truth, is designed to be transformational. So let me say this right up front. God is for us. In the divine dance of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are united in seeking our best for his glory. We're never alone. There's one God known in three persons who understands our various situations and absolutely cares And that truth can transform how we live. Well, let's see how the scriptures show us this reality. And now this brings a message of deep assurance and encouragement to our daily walk of faith. Firstly then, dancing for glory. Does God have a big head? Now, there are those who observe the Christian faith from outside. They observe the scriptures from outside. They do it from somewhat of a distance And they come to the conclusion that God is on a massive ego trip. He's the megalomaniac of megalomaniacs. They perceive that God does everything for his self-aggrandizement. He does it all for his own glory. Now, before we stand up and shout and rebel, let's realise the scriptures, if we're honest, provide evidence for this misguided conclusion. Firstly, We saw from Psalm 148, read for us earlier. This is God's word and it begins and it ends with praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This Hebrew song shows that praise for God is to flow from heaven to earth. It's observed in the wonder of the celestial universe, in the beauty of all flora and all fauna and is to be found on the lips of all humanity. And this idea is echoed in the last, very last words of the songbook of the Bible. The whole Bible, the, the songs of the Psalms, finish with these words, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Even Jesus at first glance appears to support this pattern of self-aggrandizement. In our second reading from John 12, verse 28, we hear his prayer to and the response of the Father. 
Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Paul joins this chorus in many of his letters. In particular, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 declares, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the Bible's final book of the scriptures, the Revelation, with its focus on the end time hope and what life will be like in eternity. We read these words in Revelation 5.13. Then I heard of every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and, on, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And then when we look in at Jesus' teaching in John in the upper room discourses in John 13 through 16, where he teaches about the inner dynamic of the relationship between Father, Son and Spirit. We discover the Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father and the Spirit who will come and bring glory to Jesus the Son. Here it might seem that the divine dance of the Trinity is a sort of mutual appreciation society. The Westminster Confession, one of the great historical statements of faith, affirms the chief end of people is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the well-known late evangelist Billy Graham, from the very early days of his ministry, used to say, the glory must go to God. He will not share his glory with another. Given this weight of evidence, how might we respond to the observers of faith who believe God is a big head? Well, we can say they are both right and they are wrong. They are correct to see that God is claiming all glory and praise for himself. That God must be on centre stage. But they are misguided because they only choose to see the final outcome of God's divine dance, his glory. They haven't grasped the inner motivations and the purposes and working of the dance, the self-sacrificial servant love of God that Langdon spoke to us about last week. You see, those who claim God as a big head fail to see the complete other person-centred activity of God in both creation and salvation. To say God is a big head is as simplistic as to say that a male peacock has an ego problem. Yes, we know the male peacock displays its unique um, plumage in order to court a female. It seems like it's all about male ego. Female, a male ego in the bird. But that's only half the story. It's also about the survival of peacocks. If there is no display, if there is no mating, there will be no eggs. If there are no eggs, there will be no peacocks. The very survival of the species depends on the process of the display of the peacock. 
So, as we shall see in more detail, the divine dance ensures the survival of creation and more especially the human race. Now, we who are no longer mere observers from the outside of creation, but who have come to faith, intuitively know it's right and proper to declare God's glory and praise. We witness the breaching of a whale, the wonder of a starry night and the delicate beauty of an orchid. We see and hear the hum of a hummingbird whose wings go at the speed of 50 beats a second. We hold our first grandchild and the child of faith bursts forth. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yes, we observe that God is dancing as Father, Son and Spirit for his glory, but not because he has a big head, but because he has a big and generous heart. Something we see in both creation and salvation. So we move to dancing for humanity. Does God have a big heart? Well, absolutely he does. In fact, and here's a paradox, or if you like, an oddity, it's his big heart which displays the substance or the heaviness that is his glory. The word glory was a word used to convey the weight or the worth of a person that had been displayed in their actions. God's glory or weight or greatness is displayed in the fact that God always acts in the interests of his chosen image bearers. Or to use the language of Psalm 148, the people close to his heart. This is the language of intimacy. Psalm 48 provides two grounds for the Lord's being praised by all of creation. Both are founded on God's initiating generosity. The first in creation. All creation praises God because it and our existence is an expression of his will. For at his command, they were created and he established them forever and ever. We see the same pattern in salvation. All God's people, Israel, praise him. Why? Verse 14, he has raised up a, a horn for his people. The horn refers here to God's provision of a strong deliverer. Zechariah will later declare of Jesus, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So in redemptive love, in salvation love, the Lord has generously drawn us into an intimate, saving relationship. Who are the people close to your heart and mine? In this season of pandemic and isolation on lockdown, probably it's our families. We think of our grandchildren. We haven't been able to see and hug and play with for a long while. Or maybe an ageing parent, isolated in a nursing home or in hospital. Our family are never far from our mind because they are people close to our heart. What a wonderful gift that the Lord describes us as the people close to his generous heart. Remember, God is for you and he is for me. 
just how wonderful a gift is, lit up in neon lights in John 12, 20 to 33. We find there the request of the Greeks to see Jesus and that triggers in him that he now knows the climactic hour of his life has arrived. This hour will mean his glory, but oddly, it will only come through death. He's being lifted up from the earth. The only way, you see, Greeks and Jews will be able to have an audience with the Son of Man in eternity is by Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection and exaltation. And so Jesus prays. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the Father responds, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. The Father has glorified Jesus' name through the, his birth, his incarnation, and through his compassionate ministry and mighty signs. Now he will continue to do so in the climactic hour through the death and the exaltation of the Son. But here there is a great paradox, a great puzzle. Yes, Jesus will wear a crown of glory, but it will be made of thorns. Yes, Jesus will have a throne of glory, but its rough-hewn wood is in the shape of a cross. Christian faith is Easter faith because it's the Easter story, the cross and resurrection, which shows simultaneously God's deserving of all glory and his mind-boggling, all-consuming, sacrificial generosity. God's glory is the vast weight of his generosity, his grace towards us in Jesus. And God's dance for humanity, his big heart continues beyond the cross. As Jesus promised, he sent his Holy Spirit, described as another counsellor, to be with us. The word another teaches that the Spirit continues the work of the Son bringing it to personal completion in Christians individually and corporately in the church. The term counsellor conveys a whole range of the Spirit's ministry, which is replicating the ministry of Jesus. Encouragement, support, assistance, care, guidance, and the shouldering of responsibility for another's welfare. And then Romans 8.26 adds, the Spirit prays for us. Wow. Do you think the Spirit is for us? Absolutely. The Spirit cooperates with and nudges our spirit so that we might keep in step with God's perfect will, a will that Jesus modelled perfectly. Jesus, while walking the streets of Palestine, was, of course, our great role model of simultaneously glorifying God and serving others. The Spirit-inspired Paul highlights this when he writes in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what is that example? Let's read the context. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. That represents everyone in the world. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. First, God desires that Christians do everything for the glory of God. Second, the Lord desires that in every way we please everyone so that they may be saved. How many everys do you have? I only have one every. There's a certain logic of this text that pushes us to grasp that doing everything for the glory of God works itself out in doing everything so that others might be saved. So our own spiritual dance is to mirror our Lord's dance. It's a two-step. One step for God's glory and one step for humanity. So we've seen that God's own dance is simultaneously a dance for his glory and a dance for humanity. They're not in contrast with each other or conflict. They are the same activity. Let's quickly then look at dancing for unity. Does God have a dance routine? As you see our little girls dancing again before us, we see one action with three individuals involved dancing together in one activity. Now, a reasonably consistent pattern of unity emerges in Scripture, which can be stated like this. What the Father initiates, he does through the Son by the Spirit. One activity, three persons. So I found that helpful in teaching on the Trinity to use three titles for what I see as the generally consistent modes of operation, if you like, the dance steps, the routine of the three persons of the Trinity. They are that the Father is the author of all things. The Son is the agent through which all things flow. The Spirit is the activator, applier, by which all things take place. Let's briefly see how this works in creation. Let me use an analogy of speech that I picked up when I was training at Theological College at Moore. You see, the brain authorises to say the word hello. The larynx and the, the tongue and the mechanisms of speech, they are the agents of the word hello. And then the breath, if you put your hand in front of your mouth as you speak, you can feel the breath. The breath carries the word. It applies the word. So it was that God spoke creation into being and the scriptures attribute creation to Father through the Son and by the Spirit. We see the pattern repeated in redemption. The Father authorising Will is for people to be saved from sin and judgment. The Son Jesus sent by the Father and says to his Father, Your will, not my will, be done. And he becomes, through the agency of a perfect life, a crucifixion and a resurrection, the agent through which salvation is available. 
The Spirit then applies this deed and message of generosity by activating the souls of people so they can respond and be saved, redeemed, rescued for all eternity. So we see what the Father initiates, he does through the Son by the Spirit. This is the dance routine of the Trinity. Well, I noted earlier that the scriptural teaching on the Trinity, like all biblical truth, is designed to be transformational. It should shape how we understand our identity and the priorities of our life, how we manage the stresses of family life and the loneliness that can overwhelm us, how we respond to the temptations and distractions of a sensually focused society. We all need to take more deep breaths to be still. We all need to pause and to ponder at the awesome divine dance of God, the great, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, three-in-one, Father, Son and Spirit. Please get this. You and I are not alone in this stressful and sensual, full society. God is for us. In the divine dance of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are united in seeking our best for his glory. We're never alone. There's one God known in three persons who understands our various situations and absolutely cares. Jim Packer in his landmark book, Knowing God, wrote that people who know God should be transformed in four ways. And I close with these as challenges for us all. He wrote that those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great thoughts about God. Those who know God show great boldness for God. Those who know God have great contentment in God. May we at Fig Tree Anglican be a people who knowing the God as Father, Son and Spirit have energy, thoughts, boldness and contentment in abundant quantities as we face our daily lives. God is fully for us so that we might be fully for him. Let's join together in saying the grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.